Well, I told you we were the greatest church. I wasn't exaggerating in the least either. Praise the Lord. God is so good. So this this sermon came to me last Saturday. <laughs> so it was before Sunday came. The Lord had already put this in my spirit. I woke up. Well, I wasn't really asleep, but I was kind of in bed ready to go to sleep. And I felt the Lord drop this into my spirit. No more consumerism. No more consumerism. I want, to, I want you to turn to John chapter 15, verse 19. This is big enough that I could spend weeks on it because I feel like it's so important. And the reason it is, is not because of the concept, but because how deep it's made its way into our churches. How deep it's filtered into our ministries and how much it's not a part of what God wants for us. John chapter 15, verse 19. So just say amen when you're there. Awesome. So uh, I love that. We got it up on the screen, and you guys are doing exactly what I want you to do, and that's look it up in your Bibles. We're not neglecting your Bible. Amen. He says this, If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore... The world hates you. I've got just a little bit of feedback. If you can turn it down for me, I'd appreciate that. Yet because you are not of the world, I want to add something to that. Because you're not of the consumerism of the world, but I have chosen you out of the consumerism of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. The world hates you. Now, it doesn't say that in the original Greek, just so that you know that. But I think that when Jesus is talking about the world, he's talking about what encompasses, what is at the heart of the world that we are to call to overcome. Notice that the, the Christian life is not about overcoming sin, but overcoming the world. That's what God called us to do. Overcome the world. Don't be ensnared by it. And so what we're finding today is, in our culture, our Christian culture, our American culture, is that we're finding that there's a huge part of our culture that still makes its way through the doors of the church every Sunday. Every time we come in, because we've become inundated with a part of our culture and we didn't even take time to think about it. I hope that this is not new to you, but this is something you've been thinking about yourself. I want to pray. Father, thank you today, Lord. Thank you today, Jesus, that you use human vessels. You use people like me, God, that you can have uh, it as a wonder in the world we live in. that You are still the one that's on the throne. And God, I thank you today. Because I feel like this is so paramount that, Jesus, we're going to hinge the anointing in this ministry, the direction that you're taking us is hinging off of things like this. And we need to know how important it is that we wreck everything that the devil has tried to set up in our world. And I pray today, Father, that if there's anything in our hearts that has a consumerism mentality in this church, I pray against it in the name of Jesus. I refuse to accept it in my life and in the life of those I call my brothers and sisters. Lord, we will wage war. We will wage war, not with the culture, but we will wage war with principalities and powers who has introduced this into our culture and tried to get us to get into bondage to it. Father, set us free this morning. Liberate us 
And help us live the life that You purchased on the cross and that You liberated in the resurrection. Lord, I love this and I pray for Your anointing. And I pray for the Holy Spirit, Lord, to pour through my mouth. And Lord, I pray for an anointing on every heart and hear. And I sense You here, Lord, with us. I sense You, Lord, breaking bondages and renewing freedom and building in us, Lord, another depth of the kingdom of God, moving us toward the next mark of maturity in life. We love You, Jesus, and thank You for calling us to be a great church. It doesn't matter the number of people. It matters the greatness that dwells within these folks. And Lord, I am grateful that the Holy Spirit is calling us to march on together and move into the ranks of Jesus. Praise You, Lord. We give You all the praise today for what You're doing here. We love You, Father. Thank You. We recognize You now. In Jesus' name, Amen. I want to give you what I would call my a definition. I was looking it up. This wasn't mine, but this is a definition of consumerism. Consumerism is an economic theory that argues that the consumer spending is the most important factor driving a country's economic development. And though we may find some truth to that, what we also don't pay attention to, the economy isn't the most important thing about a country. But I'll tell you this, whether the economy is practicing it or not, we need to practice something different in the kingdom of God. Are you a consumer? Yes, we are in a sense. Because we eat, we drink, we, we have to have something in order to survive. But we live... The way it's molded and shaped is begin to mold and shape our values. From what I read, I don't know if this is completely true, but I would say it's probably for the most part true, that consumerism started with the Industrial Revolution. When we moved from farming and uh, the kind of the uniqueness of that individual way of life to now building industries and cities so we could mass produce for the masses. And so we changed the way we farm. We changed the value of the farming. It happened practically overnight as we made these adjustments to become more of an industrial revolution in the world we live in. Now we have mass metropolises and cities that were really orchestrated based off of the industrial revolution. We probably wouldn't have cities or we wouldn't have them to the dynamic that they are if it wasn't for that. Today, I can't believe when you go through uh, Amazon and all Walmart and all these other major branches of, and they're producing products so fast. And the money is in this, making sure that you as a consumer get it at a convenient time. You get what you wanted. You get to share your reviews on it. They decide off of what they get out of that, whether they're going to market it or not. And now we're having AI, AI uh, systems that are so sophisticated that it can practically read your mind and know what you want before you want it. It knows as you search through your face. It's not just a government conspiracy, folks. It's the fact that as consumers, we created this problem. We created the problem. by We filtered into it and we decided, well, if I have a demand and I have a desire and I have a want and there's somebody that will produce it, then I want it. And I want it at a certain time and it's become a part of our mentality. The youth of today are especially being filtered into this trap like none other that we've ever known. 
I lived in a day, and probably most of us in this room, I lived in a day where a smartphone didn't even exist. I remember kind of it, kind of the woodworks of the cell phone coming into being. And I was like, I, and to be honest, I thought it was of the devil. I did. I said, that thing is of the devil. That was my first impression. And now we become, we, we filter it in and it becomes a part of our life. And I remember when the smartphone came in, I felt similarly toward the smartphone. And I remember one of my coworkers saying, hey, you'll become a better man, a better husband, taking pictures and being more family oriented and all of that because of the smartphone. And the devil found out something. He found out the trick of finding a need, finding a point of either need or very strong demand or desire. And you would feel trapped between the, the temptation to use a very good resource for very good things and use it for ungodliness and he'd make you feel like you're under demand to have to have it. And we got locked down into our cultural command, so to speak. It includes not only the idea that we need more than the consumer demands, but that we need in, uh, to recreate the demand itself to continue the economic cycle. So I don't know if any of us thought about this, but whenever it's like an update, like you have an update on a phone or update on anything else, the whole idea is to make it so that it's subpar now and make sure that there's plenty of room to grow so that we can continue to advance technology so that the old one that you have doesn't feel like anything in comparison to the one now. And what we had to do was once we sold out, we knew we couldn't keep giving you the same old product. So we decided that we had to update it and make it better so that it would, out of your own desires and lusts, that you would feed off of that. And then we could recreate a demand so that we could resell it to you over again. The whole population being resold over and over again. Now think about this. The way the world looks at us and the culture looks at us as all we are is a product of um, demand and then satisfying the demand. And the cycle of that over and over again so that we can keep our economy afloat while our deficit is so bad that we're beginning to wonder what country gets to take us over here shortly. The key to consumerism is fast and efficient. The key to consumerism is fast and efficient. Why is it bad? So there's many things that we would say it's great that we have fast and efficient. Why? And I'll tell you one of the number of reasons why we would think fast and efficient is good. Because that means nobody has to go without. Nobody has to go without. And it's especially important when it comes to food, isn't it? So when it comes to food and hunger and feeding the hungry and feeding and requiring needy, clothing, those kinds of things. So the needs of life. But we took it beyond the needs and we went into all the wants of life. It is incredible to look at the new advances of technology. Or, no, not technology, but the, um, the advances of uh, new inventions. I mean, nowadays, your home is going to run itself based on a smart system and... Rather, you, you can plug into your, your phone or into any advanced system that you have. You can plug in what you want, when to turn on, when it to shut off, and it'll practically wash your clothes for you. We have now robots that are robotic that will vacuum your floor, and you have a robot for your lawn if you want one. All this stuff is just crowding in. I would say, even in the last decade, I've been overwhelmed at how fast the advancement in 
new invention has taken over the world to make sure that it fits every niche and make sure there's no inconvenience to anything we do. Now, I am privileged to be a man that drives a 1966 Ford pickup that has none of those things. I don't have air conditioning in my truck. And so my air conditioning, you guys, whether you realize it or not, there used to be this little square window or rectangle, uh, triangle window, and you flipped it out, and the cold air just went right on you. That's what I get for air conditioning in that old truck. And there is a whole lot of modern conveniences that are lacking in it, and it is not as enjoyable to drive in certain ways than it is my Expedition or one of my other vehicles. But I'll tell you what, there's needs a, it's a reality check when you go from one to the other. I remember when I worked in the salvage yard in Walla Walla, we had these, fifth, these 50s cranes, still had the flathead engine, no windows, broken out, paint ripped off. It was more rust than there was paint on the thing. I didn't even believe the thing could run when I first started. And we ran those things. And in the wintertime, we would take our torches and heat up the block and the engine so we could start the thing. And it would take four hours. Sometimes four hours. We'd spend more time trying to get the thing to run than we would actually run the thing. So what consumerism has done for us is try to erode away and take away at some of those very difficult inconveniences. And why? Because it's inefficient to have a job where you're trying to make money and you're spending so much time trying to work on your equipment and so little time working with it that you can't produce in order to make money. But all it's about is making sure that it's fast and efficient. And so it has its goods. But why is it bad? We ended up recreating and redefining the values of society that revolves around building the consumer interest and providing for that interest. And now, now the world is, we wouldn't know what to do if all of a sudden tomorrow we said we're done with it. We literally wouldn't know how to run the world. The world would collapse and the way we do economy would collapse. And so we really don't know what we would do without the consumerism in this. And we've recreated and we create demand, and we recreate it. We wouldn't know how to run our churches. We wouldn't know how to run our businesses. Uh, we've learned to be so efficient. And what, we've, what I've realized is I was talking to a lady yesterday, and she told me she was working four jobs. Four jobs. And this is what I, what I see behind why is this so bad is because it's given us the idea that you can never do enough. Learn to be more efficient here so that you can take on another job. So you can put yourself... And then we start doing that in ministry. We start taxing people out and burning them out. And even though they have all the spiritual gifting in the world, they don't know how to deal with burnout. Because we have taught them to do that. We can't have small churches. We have to have large and efficient staff-membered churches. And the staff will never meet the demand of the people out there because why? Because when you learn to spend adequate, quality time with one individual, you realize the demand of one individual is more than you have time for. And then you're going to space it out to a sea of people? Not on your life are we ever going to be able to do that. So in the interest of doing this, we had to cheapen the process in order to speed up to production. 
No more metal trucks. I remember, you guys remember that when you were little. Those little metal trucks that some of us still have. They're still somewhere buried in our stuff. Because we're like, that was my little boy truck. My dad has, I still have one in my barn. The house was a metal truck. It wasn't one of the, it was a one of a kind kind of metal truck. Very solid. You could put a, a refrigerator on the back of that trailer and then haul it around. That thing was sturdy. My dad did this day, and I still don't know. As a little boy, I broke the back of that little truck. I still don't know. They rewelded it so we, could, we would have it. So I want to illustrate something to you. This will give you a little bit of an idea of where I'm going with this. These are two wooden guns. And you're probably, when, when, when Julia and Tina walked in this morning, they were like, what are those? And they're like, where do we put those things? To, to them, there, there wasn't the same value as there was to me. They didn't know what the background in This one, my boys and I, I can't tell you how many years ago, this was a two-by-four. And, and I drew out the picture of the gun, and then we, we went together. And you'll notice this, this part's missing. It's been broken. Because as they played with it, the trigger and the trigger guard got broken off, but we still have the gun. This was handcrafted. It took hours of time to put together. And you know what? I thought we lost it. I was looking for it the other day, and I, I thought we had lost it. And sure enough, it's sitting among some of our stuff as we were going through the shop, and Isaac had pointed it out. And I thought, I was looking for that. I was looking for this thing. This, will, this is the kind of thing that I will carry with me, or they will carry with them, possibly, the rest of their life, because it has value to it. It's a handcrafted value. It's, we put time into it. It didn't happen overnight, and you don't get it at a dollar store. So that was our first replica, and we decided we were going to try another one. And At the time, Isaac was kind of growing in his interest, and so we, we took another two-by-four, and I had drawn it out, and thank the Lord for the blessing of having the ability to draw, and I had drawn it out, and you can see we had already started sculpting and working. We sanded it and worked it over, and this was just hours of just doing this part. We still haven't even done this, and I don't know if I'll get it finished. This is going to be the trigger and trigger guard. It's all, it would all be, but at the point I realized what this one went through, I didn't want this one to be played with after we were done with it. I wanted to keep it, right? Well, you can't quite see it, but there's a little bit of a crack here, and we had, we'd actually, it broken the process, so I had glued it back together so that we would be able to still have it. But what, I, what I'm demonstrating here is this, that it's handcrafted and it's done personally, and it's done one at one person at a time. You, you, you can produce something that look great and it'd be a beautiful model, but it'll never have the same value as a handcrafted put together and put time and heart into it. But the Industrial Revolution taught us to go from this to go to something similar to this. You know, it's, it's like a dollar store slinky or something even cheaper than that. And what I noticed was as the kids got older and we got stuff out of dollar stores that it broke fast, it was purchased fast, it broke fast, and I begin to wonder, are we really saving money when all these toys keep going out so fast and they don't last for very long? But you'd never get this to the mass of population. You'll never get this to the masses. You're going to get this to the few. This, you can get to everybody. Everybody can get one. And we decided somewhere along the line as we were living for the Lord and as we wanted to make sure that nobody got lost and nobody 
went to a godless eternity, we were going to make sure we won the masses. But we didn't do anything in the backside of that to make sure that we could ensure that the strength and the life of their soul and the maturity of their life beyond the immediate conversion of the moment. As a matter of fact, I will tell you that I've watched in my lifetime, I've watched the way of bringing people to Christ change dramatically, and I think it fits the consumerism mentality. I'll share with you a few more thoughts behind that here in a second. So hand quality, handcrafted quality went out the door. And that doesn't mean we don't have it. It just means that it's not like it used to be. And because it couldn't be produced for the masses, the marketing and ad, ad, advertising rather than word of mouth became essential. That's bad in a sense. Because what we did is we spent masses of money. We spent so much trying to make sure that everybody got the message so that we could still get a few people that were interested in it to buy it. And hopefully along the line, we get a few people that weren't interested in it to buy in it. Because we could figure out a way to market and advertise, and we could do that robotically and even through AI systems, that we don't even have to have people behind the scenes hardly anymore. Yeah. Automated systems replaced customer service. Now, I got a huge reality check of that when I went back to New York. Um, when I had been there for uh, part of my schooling 17 years ago, and probably it was 10 years, 10, I think 10 years after that, I went back to New York and I was just coming to that place of realization, realization that city life and New York City especially, you are not a person. You are just like a, a, a number, like you just purchase your number, get in, get out. We, we don't have time for customers. And it really felt like that. And I have learned I love the small town feel. Boy, do I love this small town. Because even though a lot of people feel like, I hate it because everybody can know your business. Everybody can know something about you. You're well known by everybody. You've got a bad rap. You're going you're gonna to feel that everywhere you go. But you'll be known. You'll be known everywhere you go. And the reverse is just as true. You get a good rap in this community, and it spreads like wildfire as well. So little communities are so, so important in that sense. And I think that's why we live here. I think we decided there's something about the consumerism of the city life I don't want to be a part of. I don't want anything to do with it. Just because I can go out and get things quicker, it's going I have to wait a week before it gets to me here, it's still worth it to me. So how has this affected the church? Now I'm not going to say all together, but I'm going to say in part, one of the effects that it's had for us is that it's, it's given us the crusade Ministry mentality. The crusade ministry mentality. It is make sure that we have large rooms, huge edifices, spend mega bucks to make sure that we get an opportunity to talk to the masses. I think that it produced in our churches the drive-through mentality. Now, right now, we're, we can go to an online church. You don't even have to be here. You don't have to be here and listen to me and you can listen to somebody that's probably better than me. So you can go online. You can get something online. But you won't ever get the personal feel of the anointing on that ministry. You get to feel the word anointing. But you don't get the personal feel anointing on those ministry plus many other things. We can have online church. And many people are actually going to that. They're going to, uh, I don't gather anymore. I don't get, have to be around people. The introvert world in society is finally found its niche. I don't have to be around people and I still get the Word of God preached to me. 
right? We have AI preachers. That's scary as ever. I don't have to be here anymore. I can, they can produce an AI preacher that can pretty much put a pretty good sermon together for me in my place. That is consumer mentality at its worst and at its best. YouTube and Facebook, they have, they have placed that in there so they know what videos to feed you with and keep you interested. It's, it's an addictive power that our ability, our technology ability has got us locked in on. And so it doesn't matter. You've got to think about this. It doesn't matter if it's your favorite preacher. It doesn't matter what it is. You have to ask yourself, did the devil get me locked in through my spiritual lust? And I'm missing the thing that God called me to. So I'm asking Christians these days, how many Christians still take a time away by themselves, isolated, in fasting and prayer for three days? How many even do it? And tell me that the consumerism behind YouTube, I don't care what kind of preacher they are. They're not doing you any good. You're not seeking the face of God. You're listening to a man. You're the regurgitated message that God gave to him. I have to preach this. Because if we keep building the church on this consumerism, there's somebody that's going to feed what I want to hear and give me what I need. We're never going to have fathers of the faith. We're never going to know how to walk the walk when things get hard. Raising our hands, no altars. The drive up salvation. Man, Spurgeon, I was told, and I think I read something on Charles Spurgeon, if somebody was interested in coming to Christ, he would wait till the next day and tell them, if you show up the next day, I believe that you're, you're truly honest about your commitment to Christ. You know, and we stopped having altar calls. You know what they used to be called? They used to be called the mourner's bench. I'm sorry? They used to be called, instead of an altar, it was the mourner's bench. Mourner's bench. When somebody knew that they were in sin and not right with God, they had to have a minister with them to help lead them to the way of Christ, not just quickly confess sin and, and get it done and over with. But I had watched something that has still to this day left an empty spot in my heart, and I don't agree with it. I don't agree with, you know what, You're everybody in this audience, everybody close your eyes, raise your hands. Those of you who need Jesus, let's have a prayer real quick. You're saved. You've been regenerated. You've been born again. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. I don't believe that's happening. But yet they found a way to tally every single one of those numbers and say 200,000, 200 people, 20,000 people got saved today. My foot, they got saved. They're not saved. They're not on their way to heaven. Now you've got a worse problem on your hands because they think they're saved. And now you're going to have to preach them out of that salvation and get them to the real thing so that they can make it into the kingdom of God. Drive through salvation. It's like McDonald's these days. We come to church. We pick the church that we feel like has the flavor that meets my interest. And it doesn't take long, friends. It doesn't take long till you're a different part of the church where you start realizing the consumerism is robbing us of the spiritual vitality of our brothers and our sisters. It's killing it. Man, I'll tell you what, for every little offense, out the door, so fast, one little thing said, one little thing felt, 
boom, out the door. And I'm like, there is no character quality within the Christian body. Giftings are still there, but character quality is not. Notice what Jesus said. Jesus did not say, you shall know them by their gifts. Jesus said, you shall know them by their fruits. Wow. Samson was gifted. He was mightily gifted. But you saw the fruits of his life. So we've done a disservice to people because here's the thing. They don't know what they're not being told is viable viable salvation. They don't know. Like, okay, I guess. I'm ignorant. I don't know how to do this God thing. So, sure. But to lead somebody truly to Christ is a total abandonment of self and a complete surrender to the cross of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus coming and making me a new man or a new woman and totally altering my worldview, changing me from the inside out. I've died with Christ. I now no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Now, why did we do that? Why did we do that? Because preachers got a fear that there would be anybody in his audience that didn't make it to heaven under his preaching. That's the sad reality. They thought, well, some, we don't want, I'm not going to stand before the Lord and so many people in my church or in my ministry didn't make it to Jesus. They didn't make it through. So I wanted to make sure I got results, visible results that were quick, efficient, consumerism, and you got visible results. The problem is, you're still going. Jesus, they still have to pass before His judgment seat. I remember one time I was talking to a guy, um, and he had said to me, he, he, he was a Christian man and he felt saved and all of that. And then we were talking about forgiveness. And Jesus said it. He said, if you do not forgive somebody who's offended you, you will not be forgiven. And as far as I know, that's the first ticket into heaven. So then I remember I quoted the verse to him. And he said, are you telling me that like if there's somebody that I haven't forgiven, that basically that grace and my faith in Jesus to save me, didn't save me. And then we're going to go back to this place. And what we did was we cheapened faith, saving faith, so we could make sure that everybody was making it in. It's a scary deal because if you're on the other side of it and somebody has misrepresented it to you, and believe me, we can afford to miss it on, on many, in many different things. But we can't afford to miss how you get into heaven and how you have salvation. We can't afford to miss that. But we knew something. What we did was we created a ministry on the basis of one man can get 50,000 people into the kingdom of God. And that's how we built ministry. But we didn't do it the way Jesus did. Jesus took 12 men and He invested His life into those 12 men. And He poured into them the Spirit on Pentecost. And on Pentecost, we had 120 people to go turn the world upside down. And they did it. Because it wasn't just one man crusading. It was many going out and making disciples. And Jesus told them, don't go make converts. He said, go make disciples. 
Conversion is the first step into discipleship. And we're letting people... I, I said this to a lady the other day. I said, look, this concerns me. We have so many Christians today, but with almost no Christian character whatsoever, it scares me. Staff ministry, less volunteer ministry. I was so blessed this week as we got to help and as I realized we've been engaging this kind of ministry for a while. And this is what I don't do. I don't expect everybody in my church to go, go to every event. I expect you to divide yourself well to what God wants you to do. And I love that that leaves room for me as a pastor at times. I'm not doing this one, but this is the one God has me on assignment for. And we actually teach people to discern the will of God. Stop just working and doing good deeds and doing a lot of ministry and floating everywhere just because. Like, Invest into what the Holy Spirit has taught you and is leading you in and you'll have rest for your soul and you'll have joy in the ministry and you won't get burned out. And we're going to change the culture of the church ministry by doing this because when they start realizing there's an absence of things and you're not the one doing it all, then either they're going to start realizing they're called, on, they're called to do something or they need to stop talking about what's not, not being done. Pastor can't win every soul out there, right? Staff ministry, less volunteer. Now, staff ministry is good for large churches, but it's cultivated this idea that they're the ones paid to do the job so I can sit there and receive. And I'll tell you, consumerism in church, how many of you have heard it over and over again? I just wasn't being fed there. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? I just wasn't being fed. As if that was the most important part about your service to Jesus. What did Jesus say? Deny yourself and come follow me. And sometimes we got to stop being the ones that feed and we got to start being the ones that feed. We got to give to others. I believe true discipleship is not leaving somebody there to consume every message that I preach. I, don't, I never did that when I was working for Eastern Oregon Landscaping. I didn't have some guy over there that comes to the job site and is getting paid while I go do the job and have him stand around and watch me. Now, there was a time I had him start, stop and watch me. And it was called training. I'm teaching you what you're going to do. But I'm certainly not going to leave you there to do the same, stand there and watch me do it for the next five years. I'm not doing that. And I'll go tell the boss, like, go get another one. Like, this one isn't, this one isn't right. This isn't good for what we're doing here. So what we do is, is we call people into the lifestyle of serving Jesus. Giving yourself wholly and totally to Him. And the pastor is as much accountable as it is, and you're just as accountable as I am. But because we had these large ministries, we didn't know how to do that anymore. And you know what they're doing these days? Large churches are now creating small groups, small churches, so that they can manage the masses. What's that tell us? It tells us that the small church is absolutely needed, and what we have to offer is crucial. Absolutely crucial because this is what we're producing. This is what we're producing. Texting and emailing rather than phone calls and personal visits. Oh my gosh. I'm still the pastor and I'm going to try and keep praying for me along this line as I was sharing with my wife. And I'm not boasting, I'm just trying to share my heart for 
the, the church ministry of doing fewer but going deeper, fewer but deeper, is that I, I would spend um, one week with six guys. I'm not doing it right now, but I would spend individually, one-on-one, six guys in a week's meeting, two-hour meetings. I wanted to go deep. I wanted to get down to business with them. And then on the next week, it would be eight guys because I had a few that were kind of every other week. And I was beginning to like, Lord, I don't know that I can do a whole lot more. And then my wife tells me, honey, you need to be careful. And she's so right. I'm not producing a consumerism mentality, but I still live under the limitations that God's placed me with. And I'm going to go deep. I'm not just going to go wide. Because I, did, I watched this happen before my eyes. I watched an individual get the quick conversion. Just say the prayer. Now you're saved. And I watched him walk into a lifestyle of drug addiction and never make his way back into the church again. And I said from that day forward, I don't believe in that ministry. I don't believe in the love them and leave them mentality that we've developed into consumerism church. I met Dan. I met Dan when I was working in a job doing an irrigation system for him and I came friends immediately with him. He shared his life. And I begin to wonder, after I was working with him for a while, I was like, I don't know if I should start telling Brian I'm deducting hours so that I can talk with Dan. But I loved the conversations, and as time would lapse, I would try and figure out how to cut my time off so I could talk to Dan and feel right with my employer. But it was worth every minute of it. And I remember when he was kind of at that, like he'd heard that I was transitioning into ministry, and he was listening about it. And, and I remember he said, I'm kind of interested in coming. And it took a little bit, but he's here, and he's been here faithful. And I was just telling him today, he's been such a blessing in what he's done. And I'll tell you something, the mega church pastors can't point out people most of the time and tell you the very specifics of the life, but I can. So I want to give you a few verses. I wasn't planning on preaching that long. Maybe I'll have to redo this one. I'll finish this one next week. (laughs) What is the cost of real life with Jesus? What is the cost? Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27. Go ahead and turn there. I will shorten the sermon if I need to, but this is a really important piece. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 to 27. And hear me, I'm not knocking big churches. I'm just saying they don't have, they don't have one of the things that are so important and paramount, or maybe they're having to readjust ministries to make it happen. They have something, but they don't have everything. And I don't give a care about that. I'm just caring about what Jesus taught us to do. So in Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 27, it says, Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. It's like Jesus didn't say, Here, I want you to get my first blessing. Or maybe this was his first blessing, bearing your cross. If you don't bear your cross and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. Notice what Jesus said, come after me. You're going to walk with me. You're going to live life with me. You're going to be sleeping on the same ground as me. You're going to be suffering the same weather as me. You're going to suffer the same hunger as me at different times. But notice what he says. How great multitudes went with him. There was a huge crowd of people. He had a mass of people there. There was a consumerism mentality to his audience. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, and wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. 
You notice Jesus didn't make this doable for the masses. The crowd left him. It's like he began to wonder if his own disciples would stay with him for a certain sense. Jesus was giving this model for life and ministry. This was what he was trying to teach us. Is this going to be handcrafted? This doesn't something you just give out cheaply to the masses of people who don't understand the cost of what it means to give your life to Jesus. Here it says in John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Go ahead and turn there as well. I think this, these verses are huge. And the Lord has done for me a few different times where he's like, I want you to put this within that verse. It fits. So we did that earlier here. So 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. I'm sorry, I got all, all uh, fired up. I just couldn't help myself. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. So everything I say, make sure you take away what the Bible says here. Absolutely for sure. Do not love the world or the things in the world. And then I put little brackets around this consumerism of the world. Don't love the world or the consumerism of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Do you see what Jesus is saying there? If you get caught in this, if you get snared in the consumerism of the world, you're going to lose out on the love of the, the real love of the Father. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Wow. That sounds like consumerism defined right there. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life sounds like the definition of consumerism. It's, it's not of the Father, but is of the world. Just remember that. The world is passing away and the lust of it or the consumerism of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Forever. Decisions for salvation, not regeneration. That's what we get when we let consumerism in the church. We get decisions for salvation, not regeneration. you got to decide. And I'm not going to say regeneration doesn't make you decide, right? Like if I get the real thing and I'm the, new, the old things have passed away and I become a new man, I decide to live for Jesus. But what we did was we removed the, the regeneration side and said just make it decision and that will be good enough. The charismatic presentation and gifted talent instead of anointed ministry. Listen to me. Anointed ministry can have charismatic presentation to it, but it doesn't always necessarily. But it's anointed ministry nevertheless. And that's Isaiah 61, verse 1. The regeneration is 1 Peter 1, chapter, chapter 1, verse 22. And then training rather than discipleship. I have had my ears ringing over the word training, training, training. Are we really training people? We don't train people, we disciple people. What do I mean by that is I'm not training you how to produce a result. I am teaching you how to live life connected to Jesus and get your direct revelation from Jesus himself. I don't waste my time thinking training is going to get the job done. Now, that doesn't mean there's not training for certain aspects of life. 
teaching it, but the real quality of what we're doing is discipleship. And Jesus taught discipleship, Matthew 28, verse 19. And then here's one of my big ones. We're creating out of this culture in the church spectators rather than committed Christians. Spectators. We're looking to see what the ministry has to give. And if I don't like it, that's all there is to it. Committed Christians have a different view of it. And I love, one of our brothers here said to me, and I'm sure many of you, I am called to this church. Amen. Because you're the one for sure that when things get rocky, you're still going to be there fighting with me, not fighting against me. I've lived through a few of them, and I hate watching it. There is nothing more traumatic to me than to watch church splits. And then number two, on top of that, the worst kind of thing is, is to watch the pastor struggle and do some dumb things. Do some things because he's hurt, because he's feeling the emotion, he's not walking in the spirit of what he's doing, and he's been attacked, burned, and all that, and to not watch. But maybe one, maybe one, if even that, come to him and say, hey, can I pray with you? Let me walk with you through this. Because you don't know that sometimes there's a weakness in the ministry. And it's not because the man is weak. It's because he's come under attack and he's looking for somebody that's been called to this church for the same reason he was called to it. Churches and attenders instead of church members. And that's not, I'm not talking about official membership as we sign you up, but we're part of the faithful body of Christ. I am not a church attender. I am a faithful member of the body of Christ. If I were not a pastor, I would sit there and be a part of this ministry. And I would do more than sit there and be a part of the ministry. I would try to be a part in the ministry. And I remember when as I, I was uh, Pastor Micah after he had left, my first week as pastor here opened my eyes huge. And he would have said, he would have said, you and your wife had been one of the key people helping hold us together and building our ministry. And I would have said, that's wonderful. But I remember I, after about a week of that, I told him, I said, I now feel like I could have served the ministry so much different. So much different. You know what my one regret was? I didn't get close enough to God to realize that before they left. We wait for the tragedy to get us to the place we'll get on our knees and really get close to the Lord. Oh, my brothers and sisters, I'm saying, if this is the church we want, you got to want it with me. I'm telling you, you got to want it with me. You're like, I'm not sacrificing because, man, because somebody said something negative about you, because you said something negative about me. I'm not sacrificing what God's going to do through our life. I'm holding on and we're going to do something about this. We're going to pray together. I'm not leaving my pastor in the middle of the battle. I'm holding on to him, and he's not leaving you either. He's not leaving you either. And I feel like God has given me a new vision, a new heart for this ministry. This is what I want to do every day. I want to keep building and putting structure and time and orient, detail-oriented heart into this ministry. And I want to care for every individual as fully and as totally as I can. But I know that... In, but what I'm doing is I'm producing what I believe Jesus is just trying to give as an illustration to all of us. Care for one another that way. Care for one another that way. Nobody gets to be missed because 
the reality is this. We miss people along the path, but we make sure that we dig in and we get deep with the ones that we dig in with. Brothers and sisters, please hear me on this. I feel like the Holy Spirit is just animating. Put your heart and spirit into one all the way. Give it to one all the way. That is our life for Jesus. And then we'll have church depth and we won't have just church growth. Just church growth. I would wondered, and I'm going to close with this thought. I had wondered why. Why when I started ministry, every time I thought about having a large audience, like packed out church, all that, why I cringed at the whole idea. Why it bothered me. And I said, Lord, I feel like, ultimately I felt like something was wrong in my heart, like I didn't want to see the masses saved and I didn't want a widespread revival that would touch this community. And I realized as the Lord dug into my heart these last few weeks that the problem, James, is not whether I want to touch the masses, is how deeply I want to touch the masses. Yes. How deeply I want them touched. And you're going to have to understand the depth that I want to go with every individual so that you can have the, realer, the, the bigger vision here. And I don't know at times that the Holy Spirit has got us in a place that the Lord God is in a place where He's testing the heart of your ministry. And you're looking for results more than you're looking for the approval of God. Imagine Noah preaching righteousness over the known world in the day and only making eight souls into his ark. How devastating that would feel if that's what ministry base is all about. But it's not, and that's not what church base is all about. So I'm praying that as God gets into our heart, that we pull the consumerism that gets into our life out. Listen to me. I'm going to maximize everything I can to care for you guys. I am. As you serve and as you give yourself, I'm going to maximize everything I can to care. My wife right now, as she's in bed, after her dad died, i got to share this with you. After her dad, dad died, she felt so like, I have to be here for the ladies. I have to be out there in the ministry. And I said, honey, this is their turn to minister to you. This is their turn. You're in the right spot, the right time. And we learn to look. That's the, the way we're going to do church. Because I've watched, I've watched it happen. Let's get the new guys in. And we neglect the people that are right in front of us. And they need it. They need it big time. So I don't know what the answer to that is other than the Holy Spirit and His anointing to touch our lives and give us what we need for the next season of life. And I'm telling you, if I see anything happen in the world, it looks like it's going to get chaotic really fast. And we need to have something holding us together. And it better not be the consumerism in our churches. It just can't be. It can't be. Let's pray together. And as we do, I want you to do this. I want you to respond with me. I'm praying right now, this season, for our church. God, remove every ounce of the idolatry of consumerism in this ministry. Start with the pastor. Get it out of his life and out of his heart. Lord, second, I want you to pray with me this morning. Please pray with me this morning. That God would give me the vision going forward of what it looks like to get on the outside of that. To stay on the outside of it. The outside, the vision for having a church that's not consumerism mentality. I know we're there. I know we're living that. But there's 
there's a deeper sense I feel like God has been pushing into my spirit and my heart over it because we're called to be a great church. And I think part of that is the time we invest in our services. We have, strangely, we've had probably the longest service that any other church has had in Wallowa County. And I don't, I'm, not, I'm not ashamed of that. And I would say, hey, come later if you want to come later. Leave earlier if you want to leave earlier. But let's not dumb it down because we've been stuck into the consumerism in all our lives. We gotta learn to get we gotta get learned this one thing. This will change the whole dynamic of everything we do. We've got to stop thinking it's you're gonna push the five minute button on the microwave and get God to do the work. We've got to get into the place where seeking God, tearing in his presence, just staying there, even if the room is absolutely silent. And we say, Lord, we 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 want to be just like Moses. We were not going to move a step unless your glory goes before us. We need you to work in our youth. We need you to get into this county. There's too much addiction. There's too much uh, problems going on. There's too much promiscuity and evil happening in our county. We're not going to do this all on our own. We need you, Jesus. And we're going to pray with desperate hearts, desperate longing hearts, believing desperate hearts, that says, Lord, we can't have anything short of your best. We're not here for Sunday service. We're here for the service of the Lord. Till we do us depart. That's what we're doing. We're doing that here. So, but I can't, I'm not controlling anybody, but I'm going to provide any incentive I can. You want to seek the face of God, you have my permission as a pastor. You want to spend more time before the Lord, let me know. If you want to get together, let me know. The sweetest moments of my life have always been seeking God together with somebody. They have been the most foundational, fundamental ones that I've ever had. So let's do it. Let's have a new season where we're building unity and a deeper unity than we've ever had. Let's pray. As I I pray, I want you to respond to the Lord as He's ministering to your heart right now. Father, thank You, Jesus. Thank You, Lord. We are asking You today that You would destroy consumerism from our mentality. Not, Not to hate it in, in, in the wrong way. But Lord, just to realize that it's been penetrating into our life as Christians. Lord, we don't want partial dollar store spirituality. Lord, we want the kind of stuff that's expensive and that can only be shared with a handful of people in a sense. Lord, give it to those who want it. Lord Jesus, I pray. Brothers and sisters, would you raise your hand this morning? Would you raise your hand? I would like all over this building for each of us to start praying and asking God for, I don't know if it's a fresh fire for you. I don't know if you're asking the Lord to give you a release in some area or deliverance in some way. I want you to start talking to the Lord right now because I believe the Lord didn't give us this just so that we would just leave now. I think it's time for a little bit more. So as we're getting ready to worship, would you respond to the Lord? If you feel the Holy Spirit tugging your heart, to the altar, would you just come? Would you come and let the Lord minister to you? Oh, Jesus. Father, all over this place, I thank you that it is not who, it is not how many are here, it's who is here that you're ministering to. And Father, I ask through the Holy Spirit right now for a mighty touch of God and anointing over this service that would move us the next step in Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, 
Let's linger in the presence of God. Let's draw near to Him right now. Oh, we love You, Jesus. We love You, Father. Let's respond to Him.